What if baseball was more than just a game, more than entertainment? What if the next strikeout could feed a family of five for a whole year? The next home run could provide safe drinking water for an entire village. The next win could help lift an entire community out of poverty. What if we could use baseball to restore hope and save lives? Partnering with Major League Baseball, Food for the Hungry is helping impoverished communities through the Striking Out Poverty Campaign. You can join top-level baseball players who are helping with relief efforts in the Dominican Republic, not to mention Food for the Hungry's other amazing campaigns that are changing lives all over the globe. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider donating to Food for the Hungry at fh.org. That's fh.org. Previously on Dynasty in the Woods. The Beavs try to stave off elimination tonight at TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha to play one more night tomorrow for a championship. Icer from the stretch. The strike two pitch is a line drive. Base hit to left field. The go-ahead run scores in Arkansas with the lead back at 3-2. to two. It just seemed like we never were able to get over that hump. Obviously, right on the heels of the first night, which we couldn't get anything going. And now the safety squeeze is on, butted in the air, caught by Ramage, back to third, double play, two down. I might have had a little bit of worry, and I'm sure most of the guys were like, are we actually going to lose right here? Maybe in that instance, I'd say, you know, there was some some fear and some doubt that crept into our head, 5%, 10%, but I think I've just been spoiled and blessed by this team that we just figure it out a lot of times. Like, it just ends up working out. So I think there was some ignorance in my head that was like, ah, this will work out. Game two of the College World Series Finals. Arkansas could lock up the national championship right away. Oregon State needed to win just to force a deciding game three. This is Dynasty in the Woods, episode 15. I'm your host, Josh Warden. Where we left off, Arkansas led by a run. The score untouched the last three innings at 3-2, to two, and the Razorbacks were about to bat in the bottom of the eighth against Oregon State's new pitcher. Kevin Abel, who... I know the Beavers were thinking in terms of starting tomorrow and may yet, if they get there, if if Abel's able to throw one inning here, get through it, he might start tomorrow too, Jim, if the Beavers find a way to rally and force a decisive game three. But first things first, he needs three outs to give the Beavers a shot in the ninth. The bottom of the eighth inning. How much nervousness would you say there would have been had you not been focusing on your mental approach? Oh, I would have been eaten alive. That was the loudest crowd I probably played in. If I wasn't mentally prepared, then that would have been the worst thing that ever happened to us. Abel trying to stay the poised pitcher he's been in his last two outings, but certainly the Beavers can ill afford to give up anything here in the bottom of the eighth. Abel's 1-0 fastball swung on and fouled at the plate. I knew all I had to do was have a clean inning and we had the right guys coming up to bat the next inning. The right guys coming to bat would start with the bottom of the order, the eight and nine hole hitters who would start the most critical inning of the whole season. And that brings up an important question for OSU first baseman and pending leadoff hitter, Zach Taylor. Go to the eighth and you're still down one run. You're in the bottom of the eighth and you're still playing first base at this point. And you know the whole time that you'll be leading off in the ninth inning. Absolutely. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> take me to when you were in the field, not even to that at bat, but already yeah. knowing you'd be the leadoff hitter. 
I love that you asked this question because I've, I've kind of always wanted to talk about this because I knew from that instance, it's like, okay, I'm leading off this thing. And I knew I was going to get that at bat too. And honestly, like, I think if you looked at numbers, especially through our playoff run, there's a lot of times that I had led off innings and that I would get on base. And so I was always confident leading off innings. In fact, Zach led off six different innings during the College World Series, and he had reached base three out of those six times. For instance, the North Carolina game when OSU was about to be eliminated, down 6-3 to three in the eighth inning. Who had the clutch three RBI double? Well, that was Adley Rutschman. But who led off that inning with a single? Zach Taylor. Now he's got a somewhat similar situation versus Arkansas, but even higher stakes, being in the ninth inning this time, and it's the College World Series Finals. But in the meantime, he can't get caught looking too far ahead because the Beavers are still on defense. It was something that I caught myself initially thinking about, but at the same time, and then I realized like, okay, I need to go back to my defensive process, right? Because I need to be ready to go. We need to put up a zero this thing, and then I can worry about my at-bat. 2-2 two -two curveball in there. Strike three call. Pretty nice mix of pitches for Kevin to get out number one. Nable delivers a changeup, swung on and missed. Strike three two down another thing that was interesting is oregon state not making the tournament two years ago you're seeing the culmination really of three years of work really the, a losing season where you had young guys got time the next year where oregon state was wonderful the three two pitch from kevin breaking ball taken strike three called abel strikes out the side and now are the Beavers able to get a run at least to keep this magical run that Jimmy's alluding to that, yes, is 2018, but it feels like a culmination of three great years for these guys together. It's been an incredible run. The Beavers don't want it to end yet. Really, after that final pitch, a bad inning, I never going off the field and really just taking some time to breathe. Zach Taylor would be the leadoff hitter in the 18th and perhaps last inning of the College World Series Finals. It just seemed like the first 17 innings of the College World Series Finals that every single little thing that could go against Oregon State did. And yeah, whether it was Jack Anderson popping up a bunt or Zach Taylor running into an out or committing some errors in the field, just thing after thing. And it just was like, is this really going to happen? Is this the way that this magical run is going to end? Bob Lunderberg was there in Omaha covering Beaver baseball for the Corvallis Gazette Times. Before the ninth inning, in the tunnels below the stadium, they were starting to bring out all the plywood and, and set up for the podium. Assuming the ninth went the way the NSA thought it was going to with Arkansas leading, uh, they were going to award the trophy to Arkansas right there on the field. A lot of that commotion was going on right behind kind of Oregon State's dugout right there in the tunnel. I don't think a lot of the guys liked seeing that. Kyle Novak noticed the same thing. I just used the restroom out of the tunnel. I'm walking down, and the entire College World Series ground crew has every single piece of celebration gear out for Arkansas. And I'm thinking, dude, these people gave up on us. They have no idea who we are. The Beavers need a run to play on tonight and need to win to play tomorrow. Down a run, it's Zach Taylor. In his first year of being a regular starter, now leading off the ninth inning of the College World Series Finals, down by a run, how was Zach Taylor feeling mentally? Take it from one of the mental conditioning coaches Zach worked with, Alan Jager. Can you imagine this? This is the ninth inning. He, clear as day, said it was the most relaxed, clear-minded, 
free that he had been all year long. That at bat in game two, that was probably my biggest at bat of my career so far, professional or college. And I, that was probably the calmest I was in that moment. You know, I really, again, I take a lot of pride saying that just because I knew from a mental aspect, you know, you don't know until you get in that moment whether you prepared or not. And I knew a thousand percent I prepared myself best I could. Going in, it's like there was really no pressure. Zach is about to square off with Arkansas pitcher Matt Cronin. I know who I'm seeing. I know I'm gonna get a ton of fastballs. They're gonna to try to go right after me. I'm gonna get pitches early in the count, but at the same time, it's like, I don't need to freak out. I can swing at my pitch. With Zach Taylor about to bat, Oregon State had already prepared a pinch hitter to follow Zach. Andy Armstrong has grabbed a bat, Jim, and it looks as though Army would bat for Preston Jones. And then Nick Madrigal, top of the ninth inning. And the Beavers just hopeful that magical Madrigal is Pat Casey, Kristen, him when Nick arrived for that 2016 season. will have an opportunity to do something special with a man aboard. With perhaps. a man aboard, yeah. I think that's the key is that one of the first two guys getting on base. I think Oregon State needs an extra base hit in order to get it done. I don't know that they're going to string together a bunch of hits against Matt Cronin, but one of those hits needs to be something special. Cronin three outs away trying to deliver a national title, the first in Arkansas history, bounces the breaking ball. Ball one, 1-0. One oh. Interesting first pitch offering mm -hmm. from Matt Cronin, the owner of a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Based on how poorly Cronin threw his curveball, Zach Taylor figured that would be the only breaking ball he would see in this at-bat. I liked my chance, especially when I only know one pitch is coming. The 1-0 pitch misses, low and away, ball two. One of two things is going to happen here. I'm either going to get on with a hit or I'm going to walk. And there's really no other option. Cronin threw a fastball for a strike, two and one the count. And then on the fourth pitch of the at-bat, Zach Taylor took his first swing. The 2-1 pitch on the way to Taylor, hooked foul deep down the left field line in the corner, but foul. And the count now even to Zach, two balls and two strikes. Zach Taylor leading it off for the Beavs awaits the left-hander Matt Cronin who rocks, kicks, and comes 2-2 to the backstop. Ball three. Yeah, certainly for Cronin, for Arkansas, I mean, <laughs> he's thrown some pitches in this sequence. One in the dirt, this one at the backstop. There's got to be an element of pressure, I would think, on Cronin here. Winds and comes to Zach 3-2, and he hits that one much better. Very firm, deep and foul down the left field line in the corner. That had home run home distance, run. but yeah. well fouled. <laughs> but that's a, that's a good sign, and I think that you talk about pressure. Those are the kind of things in the pitcher's mind. Well, you know, I'm not just going to pump a strike in there. I have to throw a quality strike. Zach Taylor leading things off of the Beavers. He instigated the big three-run rally against North Carolina in the elimination game last Wednesday. Trying to get on base to open matters in the ninth. The 3-2 pitch. Swung on and fouled back. This is a good battle by Zach Taylor. Getting his money's worth. Again, I had all the confidence. And it didn't matter if I, you know, I was fouling pitches off. And I hit those two long foul balls. So, and like I said, I think that gave me, especially as the at-bat went along, I felt more and more confident. Because I was barreling pitches, fouling pitches straight back. I knew I was on him. I knew I was only going to get Peters. Three balls and two strikes to Zach Taylor, leading things off of the Beavers in the top of the ninth, trailing Arkansas three to two. 
Matt Cronin again. The 3-2 pitch is low and inside. Ball four. What an at-bat for Zach Taylor. Once Zach Taylor got that walk, we were feeling really, really good about our situation. Zach was so pumped up, he started running up the base path without taking his leg guard off. I was so excited that I, I look back on it, I shake my head, but you know, usually you get down with your at back, I have a leg guard, and you usually just leave it in the box, right? And I'm so pumped up and fired up, and I might have said a choice word or something. Zach may have been too amped up to remember his leg guard, but really it was his composure that led to the walk. The proof of it was how well I think he fought off a bunch of two-strike pitches. And I can tell you, no matter what, 3-2, it's not easy to take ball four. I mean, it, yeah, they, they bounced the ball 10 feet in front of the plate, but saying off a pitch that was even a foot within the zone, when guys are amped up, it just is another sign of his state of mind that he stayed in his process he would have swung at that pitch early in the season all the time. He's really developed into getting into better counts and seeing the ball better. Like Pat Casey said, Zach Taylor had not always been good at drawing walks, especially early in the 2018 season. In fact, this was just his ninth walk all year long. Zach picked the right time to showcase his improved play discipline, and it put pressure on Arkansas head coach Dave Van Horn. Really good at bat by the leadoff man, fouled off a bunch of pitches and then finally got walked. You know, whenever you walk somebody, a lot of times comes back and gets you. Looking at our dugout, just kind of looking at the guys like, here we go. This is what we needed. And just looking and especially I knew in that moment, getting down to first base was a great feeling, but there's more to do, you know, like now my focus shifts not on me, like I did my job, but now it's like, how can I support my other guys around me? And the focus really did shift away from Zach because as a reward for his leadoff walk, he was subbed out of the game for a pinch runner. So Zach Taylor's night was done. The question was, who's going to pinch run? Somebody's going to run, I think. They're what running the, out of bodies. I yeah, mean, like, this, for, like right now, for example, who plays center field? Pat Casey's holding the phone here. He's saying. And he does want a runner. Yeah, he's, it's going to be Zach Clayton. Zach I Clayton, how about that? <laughs> how about that for the first chance of the year? Has he played this year? He's played, but he's on center stage now, having played in six games. He's had six at-bats. He's 0 for 6. He's a runner now. Clayton is a capable runner, albeit inexperienced, but the main obstacle is the patchwork defense. Oregon State had already subbed out four outfielders, Novak, Anderson, Jones, and Quan, plus Zach Taylor, the first baseman. You worry about the defense sure. later. You have to at least plate the run, and I, I think Andy Armstrong clearly up there to bunt. You have to give Nick Madrigal and Caden Grinier a chance to tie this baseball game. Andy Armstrong had played sparingly of late with just two at-bats in Omaha. In fact, just two at-bats in the last month, period. And neither of those two went well. Against North Carolina, he tried to bunt with the bases loaded and popped up to the catcher to end the inning. Then in game one against Arkansas, he lined out to end the game. The last at-bat I had, I just looked at it as, you know, at worst, it would give me some experience going into the, the second game, which I think, looking back on it, I didn't realize it at the moment, but I think that was kind of what the plan was, you know? Armstrong also had plenty of time to prepare mentally for this at-bat because he had known the entire last inning that he would pinch hit after Zach Taylor. Coach Casey told me that I was going to go in. Obviously, I knew that Zach Taylor was leading out the inning, so there was no question in my mind that if he got on, I was going to bunt. I remember that's just what I had to do, and, and there was no surprises to that because I'd done it a million times. Um, I just remember being in the in the little back room or whatever, close to the dugout, kind of up towards the tunnel. There's a little uh, hitting net with a tee. I was taking some swings off that, just kind of get my mind right because I knew that, that was what was going to happen. 
Andy bunts in the air, foul back of the plate and out of play. Andy Armstrong may have caused some anxiety by fouling off the first bunt attempt, but before the second pitch, he again got the same sign to bunt. No balls and one strike to Andy Armstrong, who made the final out against Cronin last night in the Beavers' 4-1 loss. Armstrong squares, Cronin delivers, a bunt up along first, a good bunt. The ball fielded by Jared Gates, tags out Armstrong, and Zach Clayton into second, representing the tying run with Nick Madrigal coming to the plate. Well done. That was a huge, um, that felt really good. Obviously, we weren't done yet. The guy just got moved to second, but I knew that I had done my job, and that, that was a really good feeling, you know, coming back to the dugout. Zach Taylor, who had gotten the leadoff walk this inning, but now had no power over the situation, was in the bottom left corner of the dugout next to Nate Yeski. And I was freaking out at this point, right? Knowing I'm not going to go in the game, I was pumped for my guys, but it's just that butterfly feeling. And I haven't told Yeski this, but kind of next to him, because he's calm, cool, and collected. You know, he was making me feel better. I was like, maybe if I'm next to him, he might calm me down a little bit. Zach Taylor was calm during his at-bat, and now he's freaking out once he's out of the game. And after all, OSU had just two outs remaining. Runner on second, Nick Madrigal to the plate. Clayton gets his lead from second, representing the tie and run. Two and two to Madrigal, Cronin set, Matt Reddy delivers, fisted slowly up along first, fielded by Jared Gates who steps on the bag, two down, on the play, Zach Clayton to third, Arkansas is an out away from the national championship. That last at-bat that he had in game two, he probably didn't like his at-bat because, you know, he might have got jammed. I'm not sure that's what it appeared to look like. But regardless of that, he still got the job done. He advanced the runner to third. So gave us another chance to put the pressure on them to, you know, leave a ball up to Caden because they couldn't afford to put one in the dirt because maybe a guy scores from third, you know. Nick Madrigal does not have a hit in the two games, and you have to credit Arkansas pitching for that. They've held one of the best hitters in the country down Hitless 0 for 8. Zach Clayton, who was 90 feet away from tying the game, got a quick pep talk from third base coach Andy Jenkins. I'm just like, whatever you do, let him hit. In other words, don't you dare get picked off. The batter was Caden Grenier, who dug in with two outs, the tying run at third base, the College World Series on the line. I wasn't nervous out there. We put in so much work, man, and these guys were so good that Rainier strikes out. I still love that kid, man, but if he gets a hit, I wouldn't be surprised. They had been really good defensively. In game one of the World Series, Jared Gates, the first baseman, laid out for a ball in the dirt. So they had made a lot of really good plays defensively. Matt Jones, an Arkansas reporter, brought up game one and the phenomenal diving catch by Jared Gates in that foul territory beyond first base. Point being, Arkansas was pretty talented defensively. The good thing for OSU is they're now in the top of the order with all the best hitters. And now Caden Grenier, the batter. Caden, who would you have chosen top of the ninth inning? Anybody on Oregon State, who would you have picked to hit for the Beavers in that scenario? You could have chosen anybody for me. It wouldn't have mattered. You could have thrown Nick. You could have thrown Trevor. You could have thrown Andy. You could have thrown Zaleski. It didn't matter. Like, whoever we had, I, I would have been perfectly fine with. 
Caden's answer is humble, but with the way baseball works, it couldn't just be anybody. The next spot in the lineup was Caden Grenier's. And for OSU, that's a blessing. He's the best shortstop in America, winning the Brooks Wallace Award. He came into the game batting 314 on the season and was 2 for 4 on the night. But he can't let that become 2 for 5. I felt like I had a really good plan against their guy, too, because I had seen enough of his pitches that day that I stepped in there, and I guess I, I did have a good amount of confidence because I was like, I know exactly what he's going to try to do, and I felt like he wasn't going to be able to get me out. The pitch on the way to Caden, a strike, and the count 0-1. The Beavers down to their final out, their final two strikes. Trevor Lornick on deck, Caden Grenier. Trying to come through and keep his team's season alive, his Oregon State career alive. Zach Clayton just getting started in his career. The freshman getting the lead from third, representing the tying run. 0-1 to Grenier. The pitch to Caden, very high, and the count 1-1. With the count at 1-1, 25,000 fans were about to witness a moment few would forget. Two outs, top of the ninth inning, three to two Arkansas, Clayton at third, two down. The 1-1 one, one pitch to Grenier has popped up on the right side. A long run for Jared Gates and Valentin. There's nothing you can do. You're just, it's that helpless feeling of like, I just want that ball to come down. Hopefully, could there be a magical gust of wind that kicks that ball out? You're basically praying at that point. I didn't watch it. I put my head down. I'm just like, drop it, drop it, drop it. Just something, just something happened. Just anything happened, just something happened. In the moment, it's easy to be thinking about, it's over. I thought it was done. I thought it's over. Oh, well, it, was, it was a great year. Another, another close one. When that foul ball popped up, my initial thinking is that's going to be in play. It's going to be caught. Arkansas will win the title. I just remember when it went up, and it felt like forever that the ball was hanging up there. And oh my gosh, like that's going to be it. Some guy just threw his drink, and I remember hearing the sound of like a drink hitting the ground. Oh, I'm like, it's over. Baseball instincts at that level tell you that that's the end of the game. You see a foul ball, and you assume it's getting caught. It was in play. We knew it was in play, and we thought it was over. It's like being in an accident. Everything kind of slows down. So the ball comes up. I'm thinking that's either going to get caught right in front of us, or maybe the wind will move it in some fashion, make it hard to catch. Yeah, I was sitting on the bench when Caden hit that fly ball, which I thought was out of play. Kevin Abel's first impression was the ball had no chance of getting caught. From my point of view, I was like, oh, I just hit a foul ball into the stand. I didn't know that they actually had a play on it until after I heard the whole stadium erupt. I was like, what, what happened? I was just hoping it was going to keep flaring off into the stands. I knew I'd hit it decently deep, so it wasn't going to be just a routine pop fly to catch. Caden himself saw there are some elements that make this play difficult. Same thing for Zach Taylor as Oregon State's first baseman. This is the area he patrols on defense. There's a ton of foul territory on that side. You know, I'm playing over there, so it's like I needed to know my boundaries. I knew as the ball went up, I'm like, gosh, that's going to stay in. And, you know, they have some athletes for sure. They're a very athletic team, so it's like that's probably a ball they're going to get to. 
I didn't think it was as easy of a play as people thought it was on TV. Being there in person, it, it looked like a pretty difficult play to be able to get over there. You forget how big the foul grounds are at TD Ameritrade. And so it's a pretty good amount of ground to cover to go get a ball there. Just knowing how much foul territory there is in that stadium is very different than especially golf but a lot of other college baseball stadiums too when they're built on campuses they you know they don't have a lot of space in the foul territory and td ameritrade is huge and the expansive amount of ground to cover is not the only factor people don't understand how weird and how strong the winds are at td ameritrade park that entire game the wind was blowing the ball basically from right field to left field Reporter Bob Lunderberg saw the whole play from the press box. That ball was absolutely being blown back into the park. And even the wind and the foul territory are not the only issues. I remember I was sitting at the very end of the dugout. I watched that ball go up, and instantly when it went up, I thought, man, it's hard to hear verbals. There's 25,000 people in the stadium. It's hard to hear what the person's saying to the left of me right now. So it's dang hard to hear somebody going, ball, 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 you know, running in. So it was a tough play. I think it's a really tough play, and you got to have extreme communication to make that play. When we're playing, a, you know, just a regular game, it's a lot easier to communicate and say, I've got it, or you've got it, pass it off, or whatever. But, you know, when there's 25,000 fans packed into a stadium, majority of them were Arkansas fans who were celebrating and yelling because they think they're about to catch the final lot to win the World Series. It probably made it very difficult for those three Arkansas defenders to communicate. Those three players are the second baseman, Carson Shaddy, the first baseman, Jared Gates, and the right fielder, Eric Cole. And you might think the outfielder would be the most likely to catch it since he's running in towards the ball, but it wasn't Eric Cole who was running the hardest. The second baseman, you know, he was coming over, but he was coming in hot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to try this ball. Because I thought initially right fielders got this ball all the way. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking he might overrun this ball. The 1-1 pitch to Grenier has popped up on the right side. A long run for Jared Gates in foul territory. Gates, and they let it drop. Three hogs came together. Jared Gates, Carson Shaddy, and Eric Cole. Jimmy, this, the ball game and series should be over. Arkansas should be the national champions. They let the ball land on the warning track. Caden Grenier still has life. One and two, the count. When I was watching the first baseman, Jared Gates, I didn't like his angle. I, I, for some reason, I didn't think he was going to catch the baseball. And I think Carson Shaddy came over and said, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. But then Carson Shaddy didn't overran catch the ball. It, he overran the overran it a bit. Oregon State with a huge opportunity and an extra chance. They were tasked with a very tough foul ball, and, and uh, lucky enough for me, they didn't catch it. Ball gets dropped, and we were like, what just happened? You know, it was definitely a play that I think anyone would tell you that it should have been caught, but at the same time, it's, it's not an easy play. It's dark, you know, those balls can get, you know, with the wind and whatever else, but uh, when that ball went up, that was, you know, in my thought, and I'm sure it was everyone else's thought, is like, oh man, that's a game right there. And then when, it, when, when you see it bounce and go up, it was almost like, oh my God, they didn't catch it. When it bounced, I couldn't believe it. If we're in that situation between me, Nick, and Trev, I, I'm telling you, I don't think that ball's dropping, you know? Zach Taylor felt that Oregon State would have caught the ball. Now, from Caden Grenier's perspective from home plate, he could see the flight path of the ball and how the wind impacted it. From my perspective, that ball started out pretty far foul and then cut back. 
And so I think for a moment, maybe they were just hesitant that the ball was going to be out of play or, you know, they either got confused or something happened and, uh, and it dropped. To me, I thought the right fielder was going to make the play. And I think he let up a little bit. I don't know exactly, but that ball just hit right down between the three. It was one of the greatest feelings in, in OSU history. I get it that that ball should have been caught and you know that's great and all but from my vantage point that ball it was pretty well placed in just that triangle that nobody wants to get caught in so yeah should have been caught absolutely but in their defense it wasn't a routine play in my mind just because I got to see how far that ball came back into the field of play and then it was a pretty good distance out there but either way it didn't get caught so I'm happy about it. They show a replay of Coach Van Horn, and you can see the sense of expectation building. The ball drops, and you can tangibly, visibly see a wince come across his face because he knew what a dreadful thing had just happened to his team. You just hear that noise of, like, you know that something happened awesome, and you open your eyes, oh, my gosh, here we go, you know? And it just drops, and we all just kind of, like, and then it's like, okay, we got this. Like, that's our chance. Like, you shouldn't have given this, this second chance. If you watch baseball, you can't give good teams more than 27 outs. You just don't give players like that a second chance. If they get another chance, they're going to capitalize on it. When that ball dropped, I instantly knew, like, Caden was going to get a hit. It's like, you can't, you can't allow a guy, a player as good as him, in that moment to get a second life. Fortunately for us, the ball in foul territory dropped, and... And I told myself, we're not done yet. It wasn't like we were screaming and like super excited. It was like, oh dang, that just happened. And we were all looking at each other, but it was just kind of like a common understanding. Okay, something special might happen. It was probably a feeling that I've never really had before. We were losing that game. Caden still had two strikes on him. There's two outs, but we were all like, I think we're going to win this. When the ball took the bounce between the three Arkansas players, I turned to my buddy, I said, we're going to win. Here's what the second baseman, Carson Shaddy, had to say. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's a tough play. Uh, I was running and didn't hear anybody call it. Um, so I just kept running and tried to make the play and overran it. Um, it's a tough break. Shaddy's been decently vocal, not like willingly volunteering information, but he went on a radio show probably a month and a half to two months after it happened and was just talking about it. They, you know, they were like, we gotta, we gotta ask you about this. And he's like, it, it was my fault. And Shaddy said that at, right after the game, he said it now that, hey, that was my fault. Arkansas reporter Seth Campbell also talked personally with the right fielder, Eric Cole, about the foul ball. They asked Eric Cole what happened there, who was calling it, and you know, Eric is going, the stadium's as loud as it ever been. I can't hear anything. Eric Cole blamed the crowd noise, and there's another note that maybe played a factor. When asked before the College World Series about his outfielders and their ability to cover ground defensively, Arkansas coach Dave Van Horn specifically brought up Eric Cole's foot speed. Eric Cole plays right field. He was a center fielder in high school. Had some issues with ankles and feet. He's had these fouled balls off of both of them. He's a switch hitter. He's got bone bruises and all kinds of issues. Knocked down his speed a little bit. Was Eric Cole's lack of speed an issue since he had to run in from right field? Perhaps he didn't think he could get there in time, and that's why he did not call his teammates off. Even though he ended up getting to the ball in time, Caden Grenier points out that doesn't mean it's easy to communicate. 
with those plays, if you're even a half step late, you're not going to catch it. And if you're too late, you're not going to call it. And you might be the only person that has a chance to catch that ball. So who should have caught that ball? Opinions vary, but the most common target has been the second baseman. I think it was Carson's ball just because of the angle he was going at. If I'm looking at it, i got to watch this replay 10,000 times. I think that's a difficult play, but I think it was Carson's in the two years since it happened. Everyone, you know, it's it's Carson's, but it's not fair to him because that's a tough play. It's an interesting story from Carson Shaddy's perspective because he's a Arkansas kid, went to Fayetteville High School, which right across the street from Fayetteville, the University of Arkansas. He walked on, got the job, and then was one of the best hitters on that team. And so to play second base, all of this stuff is working for him. And so it would have almost been picturesque if he would have caught the foul ball because it would have been like a full circle for him to end it and Arkansas wins the World Series. Some people blamed him for that. Uh, maybe he was trying too hard, but uh, I think it was just no man's land and it stayed in the air too long and he thought he had it and overran it. This was Carson Shaddy's red shirt senior year, so he had a shot for his last college play to be catching the ball to win the national championship. The guy you felt the most for was Carson Shaddy. It's really not an easy play, and, and yeah, it has been magnified as you know a bonehead mistake by the second baseman, but it, it really isn't that. It seems like everybody thinks that Carson Shaddy was in the wrong for running over like he did from second base. I don't necessarily agree with that. A lot of people said they felt bad for the second baseman and kind of put the blame on him, but I don't think that wasn't his ball to catch. That was the right fielder's ball to catch. Pat Bailey coached outfielders at Oregon State, so I'll let him have the final word. 100% the right fielders. That's his ball. He's coming in. That's his ball to catch. About six months after this play, reporter Matt Jones talked with Arkansas head coach Dave Van Horn about what happened. At that point, he said he had watched the replay one time, said he was walking by a TV and it was on, and he just kind of stood there and watched it. He said that you watch it on TV, and it looks like a really easy play. He said, but when you're on the field level, it's a brutally hard play. And he said what happened that night was that the ball off the bat looked like it was going about two or three rows deep into the stands. And then the wind came and kind of pushed it back into the field. And I kind of tend to think that's why it looks like the first baseman and the second baseman overran it is because the wind was pushing it back down into the field. And if you watch the replay, it actually lands behind where all those fielders are standing. After all this talk about the foul ball and who should have caught it, we can't lose track of how Arkansas still has the lead. In fact, the foul ball makes it harder for OSU because that's strike two on Caden Grenier. The drop ball happened, and I was just like, that doesn't really matter. Like, Caden still has to get a hit on this guy. That's the type of thing Arkansas could be reminding themselves they're still in the lead, but instead of a mound visit to talk things over and calm everybody down, the Arkansas coaching staff let Cronin go right back to work. Maybe in retrospect, I think it probably might have been a good idea for the pitching coach to go out and just calm down the team after that happened. Hey, you know, we're still in a good situation here. You gotta get this out, maybe go over the strategy. But here's the thing about the University of Arkansas. There's sort of an inferiority complex for some fans that have seen so many losing football teams or basketball or whatever it may be. So when things start to get a little shaky and the worst case scenario is looming, some Arkansas fans are... Almost expecting it. Arkansas fans, for whatever reason, they are glutton for punishment in a way that they think that these bad things will happen and I don't know. I grew up an Arkansas fan, and now as a reporter, I try to remove myself from that line of thinking. 
But man, you kind of think if anything bad can happen to him, they will, you know. When the foul ball dropped, it was almost like, okay, you're still one strike away from the national championship. But it it was almost, this is not going to end well. Even without a mound visit, there was still a bit of a pause here. 59 seconds elapsed from the foul ball hitting the ground to Caden Grenier seeing another pitch. So how was Caden Grenier feeling during those 59 seconds? Uh, not great. It was actually like terrible, you know, and it was one of those where I've told so many people when I did step back in the box, I've never had a moment where my legs have legit been like shaking while I'm standing in the box awaiting a pitch. And that was that moment where I'm sitting in the box and I kid you not, my legs were shaking before he went into his windup because of what just all happened and just the roller coaster of, oh my God, we just lost to holy crap, I got another chance, and now I'm right back in the box. And that minute felt like 10 seconds. On a physical level, Caden Grenier was coming unglued. However, Grenier felt a disconnect between his body and his mind. Mentally, I was doing all right, though. I was like, hey, like, I'm back. Like, I get another chance. You know, just let's do it this time. He's not going to strike you out. Just battle as much as you can. But my legs were not saying the same thing. They were like, hey, you're screwed, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. Zach Clayton at third, two down, top of the ninth, three to two Razorbacks. Caden Grenier given a second chance and an opportunity to drive a base hit and get the Beavers even. Trevor Lornick on deck. The left-hander Matt Cronin ahead of the count to Caden, one and two. Clayton at third, two down. The one-two pitch on the way, very high, ball two. Caden Grenier awaits. Cronin's two-two pitch, swung on and fouled back. Once I got those those couple pitches in between, it just became a normal at bat again. And so I think, yeah, I think that probably did help a little bit, allow me to kind of refocus and, and regain just a little bit of sanity, I guess. Caden Grenier felt more confident than before, but you know who is the most confident guy in Omaha that night? Probably Oregon State pitching coach Nate Yeski. Take it from the guy standing next to him in the dugout, Zach Taylor. Yeski is just to the left of me. He actually looks over at me and he's like, you know, Caden's about to hit a ball through the six hole right here. Just watch. And he looked right back at the field dead serious. And I'm just like freaking out, right? Like I'm looking at him like, is this guy serious right now? Yeski even specified where Caden would hit the ball, the six hole between the shortstop and third baseman. The count remains two balls and two strikes. The last two batters, two of the best players in Oregon State history, Nick Madrigal, Caden Grenier. We have mentioned their names so often and their great exploits. Madrigal unable to get the run home, grounding out. Caden Grenier trying to deliver the clutch, two out single and keep the Beavers championship hopes alive. Clayton at third, two down. The 2-2 pitch to Caden Grenier, grounded into left field, base hit! Clayton scores! The ball game is tied at three! Caden Grenier gets a second chance, and the Beavers are still alive in Omaha! <laughs> High drama, Mike, and I'll tell you, it took a foul ball that, really, if you're on the other side, you just gotta be sick to your stomach. As soon as I hit it, I knew exactly where it was going. And as soon as it came off my bat, I knew that he's not getting it. Like, it's a hit, we're tied, we're in it. I remember getting a couple steps out of the box and just throwing the huge fist pump while I'm running down to first. 
just giving a huge high five to Ortiz, who's our first base coach, and just looking at the dugout and everyone's screaming and yelling and the fact that the crowd's going wild, you know, because our fans were on that first base side and just knowing like, I, I came through, like I did it. That is arguably one of the most clutch hits I've ever witnessed in my entire life. They were literally dead in the water, and now all of a sudden they have life. Awesome feeling of like relief for myself, and I'm sure for a lot of the guys in the dugout, just to have gotten it done with, you know, literally last strike, backs against the wall. We're all freaking out. I've just never had more adrenaline and everything in my life. It was absolute delirium in that little subsection of the Oregon State fan base. And nothing but the look of shock, disbelief, and the Arkansas fans who were in the adjoining section. Tying the game up got us to relax. You know, at that point, whoever's up to play the game's tied. If we don't score, we're still going to go another, at least pass that half any of them had and, and into the next inning, have another opportunity. Kane hits the ball hard, and you know it's going through the six hole. And I look at Yeski, and we're fist pumping, like high five and freaking out. Oh my gosh, it's so funny to think back about. It. I still get goosebumps. Zach Taylor was next to Nate Yeski, whose prediction had just come exactly true. Just through the six hole, and I'm just looking at him like, "Are you crazy? Like, are you a witch?" Nate's a wizard, man. He's got a great baseball mind. From what I understand, he's called lots of things over the years, and he just has a feel for what guys do. To me, that's just, that's unbelievable. Just three pitches earlier, Arkansas could have ended the season by catching that fly ball. And in the mind of many Oregon State players, that drop foul ball not only allowed Caden to get a hit, but basically ensured he would get a hit. We were like, I think we might win this game. Like, not even before we scored, it was when that ball dropped. We were still losing, and we were like, we're going to win this game now. And Caden got a hit, and it was like we all knew that was going to happen. Boy, once that ball dropped down the right field line, it was just a different feeling in, in the stands, and then the base hit, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is going to happen. They needed a break and they got one, but they're such a good team. They were such a great team. When they got that break, it was over. There's still a ways to go, however. The Beavers don't even have the lead and Arkansas would still bat in the bottom of the ninth, but still, how fitting is it that out of all the things Oregon State couldn't control in the College World Series, like Stephen Kwan's injury, a rain delay, missed calls from umpires, the moment that sparked life for OSU was a dropped foul ball, something they could also not control. And of course, OSU capitalized with something more controllable, Cadence base hit. Perhaps most relieved in all of Beaver Nation was Jack Anderson, who had botched the bunt in the sixth inning that would have tied the game. Even in all like celebrations and stuff, like you can't see me, like you don't see my number anywhere because I think I was just still shaking in like the dugout, but I couldn't believe what was going on. Months after the College World Series, when Caden Grenier was back home in Nevada, Kyle Novak was visiting, and as the two OSU teammates were reminiscing, Caden admitted to Kyle how he was feeling after the foul ball. And he looked at me and he said, dude, my legs were shaking in that box. And I, I couldn't imagine, and, and I thought that was the most clutch hit ever. And then Trev comes up. Still a long ways to go as Trevor Larnick, we're talking about that extra base hit, now's the time. But Caden Grenier with the biggest hit of the season for Oregon State to keep the Beavers alive down to their last strike. 
As much as Caden Grenier should get credit for extending OSU season, in reality, both of OSU's middle infielders had set the table for the comeback. Nick Madrigal's at-bat, after all, had moved the runner from second to third. If he's at second base and not third base, and he's held up, maybe they don't pitch to Larnick. That changed Larnick's at-bat and also changed Caden's at-bat, since Arkansas had to worry about a pass ball that would have scored Zach Clayton from third. So that's all thanks to Madrigal, even though Nick was still hitless in the championship series. Did he want to get a hit? Absolutely. should want to get a hit. He should have passionately wanted to get a hit, but that wasn't more important than us winning the game or him going out and being the guy he is. And as you know, Mike, we've been on the other side. The hardest oh, yeah. out to get is, is the 27th. And they still haven't got it. And that's an important fact. Trevor Larnick steps in a 3-3 tie in the top of the ninth inning. Beaver Nation giddy here in Omaha. The Razorback fans were a strike away from celebrating their first national title. The pitch to Larnick, low and inside, ball one. 1-0. Trevor's last three at-bats had been a ground out and a pair of strikeouts. His college career could have ended in the on-deck circle with Caden's foul ball if it had been caught. Now, Trevor Larnick has at least one more plate appearance. Sensational moment in Omaha for the Beavers to keep their season alive. Larnick takes low and inside again. Ball two. 2-0, the count between Trevor Larnick and Matt Cronin. In reality, Cronin's day should have been done five pitches ago. He got Grenier to pop up, but after the drop foul ball, he's still throwing, and he's up to 38 pitches now. Not to mention, he's on zero days rest. It was the first time all year that they had thrown him on back-to-back -back nights, and you could really see a difference in him in game two versus what you saw in game one. The next year, Cronin became this really good closer on consecutive nights. And I asked what the difference was, and, and he actually brought up the Oregon State series and mentioned that he just didn't throw as well on the second night. We actually knew he'd never gone back-to-back -back days because he was sick earlier in the year and they didn't want to overstress his nervous system. So he never threw back-to-back -back days, so we knew that when he came in. You know, our closer, Matt Cronin, was really good all year. He, he did get mono, and it probably cost us a game or two in the in the middle of the SEC play because we couldn't finish games off as we didn't have him. Earlier in the year, Cronin had a bout of mono and he admitted it did a number on him. Yeah, I woke up Sunday morning after Mississippi State and my throat just hurt worse than it ever has. And then uh, my body was just still weak and I couldn't eat and I lost about 10 pounds in that five days. Partway through the season, when Cronin was still dealing with the effects of mono, the biggest difference he saw was his fastball velocity dropping from 95 miles an hour to below 90. Went to 89, I was didn't go above that again. I mean, my legs went out and I couldn't get the ball down. You saw I was throwing every pitch high. The telltale signs when Cronin is fatigued are decreased velocity on his fastball and an inability to keep the ball down in the zone. And here in Omaha, even if he was already recovered from mono, the same issues were cropping up. He kept throwing the ball high in the zone and his velocity diminished too. In game one, his first strikeout pitch clocked in at 96 miles an hour, but in game two, he was in the low 90s and dropping. Something's just a little bit off, and you can kind of tell, and I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, you're a couple outs away from a national championship. And their pitcher was, he was done. He went from 95, 96 to 88. With the failing velocity, this might be the time to mix in an off-speed pitch, but there's another problem. 
he's almost strictly a fastball pitcher. And when he comes out the next day, the fastball velocity is just not there. Oh, the fastball. For sure. Bread and butter, fastball. He's going to run it up there 97, 98. Cronin would go fastball all day long and twice on Sunday. Arkansas reporter Seth Campbell knew Cronin rarely threw off-speed pitches. In fact, of the 38 pitches Cronin had thrown so far, all but one had been fastballs. And the one off-speed pitch he'd thrown, it was the very first one of the ninth inning. Ball one to Zach Taylor in the dirt. When he comes in, throws a curveball, bounces it in the dirt. And from that moment on, I don't think he threw another curveball. But when he bounced that curveball, you're going, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. This even became a big talking point for head coach Dave Van Horn after the season. He needs another pitch. He needs, he needs change up. You know, it's so valuable at the end of the game. So at this point in 2018, the scouting report on Cronin was simple, fastballs all day long. That still doesn't make it easy to hit, but the Beavers knew what was coming. Trevor knew he was going to get a fastball. We were setting fastballs. All of our guys at bats where they were setting fastballs. And we knew that, like, coming in, because he flashed the curveballs, but weren't really near the zone. So, like, we knew for the most part, everything that he was going to be coming at us with was fastballs. Yeah, obviously, we know he's got a good fastball. You got to go up expecting to get a fastball and, and try to do damage with it when you get the chance. I was going up there just being ready for the fastball. Trevor Larnick knew he'd get a fastball, so he'd have to get the barrel out in front quickly, and he knew he'd likely get something over the plate sooner or later because he's ahead in the count 2-0. I've never met a man like Trevor Larnick. He worked harder than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Almost to the point, it was it's like obsession of hitting and the ability to be great. He had worked so hard. It was 2-0, and and I remember sitting there and I was just whispering to Luke, I said, don't be late, don't be late, don't be late. And he got that inner half fastball and he sure in the hell wasn't late. Two balls and no strikes to Larnick. A 3-3 tie in the top of the ninth inning. Two down, Grenier at first. The left-hander Cronin delivers. Larnick drives it to deep right field. On its way, so long! Trevor Larnick, a two-run homer. The Beavers lead it 5-3. Mike, I told you Trevor Larnick's not going to finish the season with 18 home runs. That's and that's a true ball, statement. <laughs> and what a time to hit it. What a time to hit it. One of the craziest experiences I've ever had. I hit it and I, you know, I knew I hit it hard enough. I just didn't know if it had the uh, the height to it. You know, it went out and I was just, I couldn't even tell you what happened. I blacked out and it was just one hell of an experience. I tell people I blacked out because there's just gaps in that memory. Like, it was just so loud, getting pushed around, screaming. Larnick came in, he spiked the helmet, and I think everybody blacked out for a good 30 seconds to a minute. Trevor comes in, we're all wagging him and banging him, and he spikes his helmet. Gosh, yeah, like, I mean, I even get, like, riled up thinking about it right now because I've never experienced that much hype and adrenaline in my life. I remember it being 2-0 and saying, to, I want to say it was Chamberlain next to me, and I was like, he's going to get a fastball and he's going to crush it. And I remember like the next thing, I'm like on the grass, like jumping. He just got a pitch he could hit and he didn't mess it, and the rest is history. That was vintage Trevor just saying, you're not beating us, because you're talking about left on left and the guy going 93, 94 miles an hour and stinking Trevor just running a rod out of the house. I did see Trev swing. I knew off the bat. It was gone. It was how far is it going? That line drive. 
was one of the quickest balls to get out of a stadium that you'll ever time. I mean, that was a, a rocket. If Grenier's single had just made everyone transported with pure joy, Larnick's home run did, and Oregon State fans, we were just dancing in the aisles at that point. I mean, it was just wonderful. It seemed like all the little things, whether it was umpiring, just all the little things went wrong for Oregon State, but when the foul ball dropped, you felt like perhaps it was all coming back Oregon State's way. I don't think there was really anything else we could do. You know, we had pretty much put it in Cronin's hands there, left on left to get us in the dugout with a tie game. You know, he just probably just ran out of gas. Give Oregon State credit, man. Down the last strike, ties the game and tees off a home run. I mean, that's pressure hitting. Caden's single and Trevor's home run, I think those will live on for longer than any of us are gonna be around just because they're such epic moments in baseball history. You could go back and find the most unbelievable moments in Oregon State baseball history, and I can guarantee you that that would be etched in there forever. When he hit the home run, that was, out of my coaching career, that's without a doubt the most exciting thing I've ever been a part of. Pat Bailey has been coaching a long time, and this moment tops the list for him. Now, another guy who had a pretty close look of that home run was Caden Grenier from first base. It went literally like right above me. And off the bat, I, I didn't think it was a home run. I think a lot of people probably didn't, unless maybe he did. So I get my secondary, I get my lead, and then he hits it straight over me. And the first thing I'm thinking is, that's getting down in the corner, I gotta score. Like I'm thinking he just hit a double, I gotta score as we play at the plate. So I put my head down and just start busting my tail the second, trying to get as quick as I can to home plate. And I touch second, I'm rounding second, I look up and Coach Jenkins is jumping up in the air, his hands and fists and just cheering and stuff. And, and I, I take a look back and the, the field umpires signaling home run. So I'm, at this point, I'm losing my mind. Trevor Larna, who just hit a line drive, he hooked it right over the right field into the bullpen. Uh, actually top spun it. I'm kind of uh, famous for that at Oregon State. So uh, I hit it and I just said, get going, get going, and it went. And from there, I don't really remember. <laughs> it must suck being able to top spin balls out of the park. <laughs> so when you have that top spin, you, it's so that the ball's going, it's almost like a curve ball. It's going to go downward. Home run hitters want back spin. The top spin, it's hard to get distance. Can't hit a top spin ball very far. Trevor said after the game that he top spun the ball and that he's famous for top spinning. Yeah, <laughs> Trevor's a very methodical person. And, you know, he's always been working on like driving that inside pitch, get that backspin and let it carry out. But whenever someone's like, yeah, Trev, that thing was smug, they'll just be like, nah, man, I top spun that. Like, I didn't get that flush. And I'm like, well, good thing you're a freak and you're super strong. We always like give him a hard time for that. How does he even top spin balls to get it that far, let alone he's just swinging over it. And then how does it go that far then? Because he's Trevor Larnick and he's super strong. And he works super hard in the weight room. Stephen Kwan had seen Trevor Larnick in the weight room countless times before it paid off on the biggest stage. Kwan had said on the 2-0 count that Larnick was going to crush the next pitch, and Kwan wasn't the only prophetic voice in the dugout. Nate Yeski had gone from predicting Caden Grenier's single to doubling down on Larnick's home run. On the 2-0 count, he just says, hit it out of here. Two seconds later, Larnick puts one in the bullpen. It was just the same type of thing, though. You have Cronin on the mound, 2-0 to a dead fastball hitter, and Cronin's velos going down. I mean, talk to Trevor. He knew that he knew what was coming. He just wanted to put a good swing on one, and my goodness, did he.
magical inning if ever there was one for Oregon State baseball. Now they're three outs away from playing into tomorrow for a national championship. The magical inning finally came to an end with Adley Rutschman popping up to second base, so Carson Shaddy finally did catch a pop-up this inning, but it's 5-3 OSU. Now, there's two elements of sweet redemption in this inning. First of all, the preparations being made for the championship celebration ended up being a little premature. So they had, you know, all their workers, all the College World Series workers were lined up with parts of the stage getting ready to come onto the field. I just remember Larnick hitting that home run and then I don't remember seeing them again. Larnick sent all the workers packing and even better, Trevor could trot out to play defense in right field where he had hit the home run moments earlier and where the fans had been jeering at him all game long. The most redemptive moment imaginable. He hits a home run in their direction right to that group of fans. When he hit that home run to right field after they were chanting to him all game, I just couldn't contain myself and Carl, one of our photographers, captured the moment of me like standing out in front of the dugout, basically pointing to right field, saying, you know, that was for you, that was for you. You know, they were quiet for the rest of the game after that. Yeah, I am sure he felt good, man. That guy, a moment like none other, especially because he was hitting that thing right at the people giving him lip for about two days. Oh, yeah. I bet they were real quiet for that one. We go to the bottom of the ninth inning. The Beavers three outs away from playing for the national championship tomorrow. Huge, huge swing of emotion. And, and then as a head coach, you know, you, you immediately go to, okay, what am I going to do defensively? You know, you got to remember, we made enough changes at that time that we didn't have any roster players left. Just three outs away from a historically monumental comeback, the defense was in complete disarray. First baseman Zach Taylor had been pulled, so Michael Gretler moved from third to replace him. Andy Armstrong went to third to replace Gretler. And then there's the outfield. Who's this guy coming off the bench? You know, there were guys I've never seen before, and they were out in the outfield running bases or whatever else. In the outfield, how about this? In Omaha, in the championship series, Zach Clayton in left, Joe Casey in center, and Trevor home run Larnick, a two-run blast for the lead in right. And two guys that have never played outfield this whole year, and they're both freshmen. And I was just like, all right, boys, hold on to this lead if you can. Jack Anderson is normally OSU's best defensive option in left field, but he was subbed out earlier, so he can only watch Clayton take over in left and a surprised Joe Casey in center. It's pretty crazy. I've never even, like, that doesn't even happen in, you know, regular season games. You know how many outs Joe Casey had recorded on defense all season? One. One out. And it was over a month earlier. The one thing about me going into play, we're usually up quite a few runs. And so my dad goes, hey, you're going to center. Like, you got to go center. I was like, okay, sounds good. And he looks at me, he's like, done it your whole life. So the infield and outfield each had two defensive subs, and we haven't even talked about pitching yet. I had just talked with Yeski when that inning was starting. Jake Mulholland, OSU's closer, talked with pitching coach Nate Yeski back when OSU was still down a run, and Mulholland needed to know if he should head to the bullpen. And I was like, hey, should I uh, head down if we tie this thing or take a lead? And he said, if we get the lead, you got it. So during the crazy top of the ninth, Mulholland was just sitting in the dugout. We got to two outs, and I was like, well, probably not going to be pitching now. And then 
Hayden gets his hit, Trevor hits his home run, and I basically didn't even have time to celebrate. As his ball was hit, I was sprinting down to down to the bullpen because I knew I was about to get going. And so I, I wasn't even ready by the time that the inning had started. I was just getting down there throwing. With Jake Mulholland hurrying to get ready, Kevin Abel went back out to pitch in the bottom of the ninth, just one half inning away from finishing the comeback. We still had to finish the game. We still had three outs to record. The 3-2 pitch on the way, grounded into center field. Base hit. So the Arkansas Razorback fans have life. Joe Casey gets the ball back in. Kevin Abel started the bottom of the ninth, giving up a single, and was pulled from the game. I got behind the count, put a good swing on the ball, got the single, so. Uh, and then they made the move to Mully, which was fine with me. Let him get the save until he does best. Jake Mulholland has been called out of the bullpen. Kevin Abel has a chance to get the victory. He is the pitcher of record. The tying run for the Razorbacks was at the plate with no outs. One good thing for OSU was that Joe Casey had fielded that base hit cleanly. Ground balls to center field in Omaha had been a thorn in the Beavers' side. We were all joking around about that one, too, because every center fielder, I think, had a ground ball go by him. You know, we didn't play very good defense at the beginning of the World Series there, and so I think Preston, Jack, and Quan all had a ground ball go by him. I come in from the outfield. Jack or someone said, like, hey, we finally got an outfielder who won't let a ground ball go by him. Casey made sure Jack's Biggers only got to first on the base hit, which could end up being important. They don't care what happens with Jack Biggers over at first base. He can score and the Beavers will be okay with it, but where he stands now, he gives the opportunity for the Beavers to, to turn a double play. Bottom of the ninth, the strike one pitch from Jake is very high. One and one the count. Jake Mulholland's most recent outing had been the Mississippi State spectacle, nearly blowing a four-run lead, but ultimately getting the final out. This time, Jake hoped for less dramatics, although there's already a runner on first and no outs. At bat is right fielder Eric Cole. One and two, the count biggers held on by Michael Gretler. The one-two pitch is taken. Strike three called. One away in the bottom of the ninth inning. Casey Martin to the plate. Casey Martin now represented the tying run with the SEC Freshman of the Year on deck, Heston Kerstad. No balls and a strike to Martin. If you're thinking double play, he'd have to hit it hard at somebody. He can fly down the line. Also, if you're Oregon State defensively, you need to keep Casey Martin off of second base. That's the no doubles type of approach. In fact, I'm surprised Zach Clayton is a little deeper in left. Strike one pitch grounded to Mulholland. He goes to Madrigal for one to first double play and will play for the national championship tomorrow night. The Beavers rally for three in the top of the night. Mulholland comes in. A 1-4-3 double play to end it. A rally for the ages in Omaha. The Beavers 5, Arkansas 3. We'll see you tomorrow night for the national championship in Omaha, Nebraska. It probably is as good a comeback win, drama, um, excitement as I've ever been involved with. And the way that it unfolded was probably something that's um, maybe I haven't seen matched being in the dugout, that's for sure. And I've seen some good comebacks. Jimmy, that's one of the great games I think I've ever had the pleasure of watching, certainly of calling. 
The Beavers score three in the ninth, and a great play by Mulholland to flag it. A strike to Madrigal. Nick, the quick shift with the quick hands to first for the game-ending double play and the national championship on the line tomorrow night. The celebration was so overwhelming that Stephen Kwan, injured hamstring and all, couldn't help him jumping and running around. I remember I had some false confidence because before that, I did a jump on Trevor's home run. I, I did that same exact jump and I didn't feel anything. So I was like telling myself, oh, it feels good. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it go. I'm, I'm happy now, let's, let's get up there. And then I felt my hamstring telling like, hey, relax, relax. Amidst the celebration, it might get lost just how impressive that double play was to seal the game. Started by Mulholland, turned by Madrigal and finished by the first baseman, Michael Gretler. Well, I was holding the guy on, obviously, at first. That ball was hit well. You know, you go back and watch the video, and that ball was hit really well. Jake just happened to kind of stab it. Watching it back, the way he stabbed it, he was kind of like, oh, my God, I got it. And I, and I do think, knowing how good Nick and Caden were, I'm sure they would have miraculously turned it themselves. But, uh, you know, when Jake secured it and made the throw to Nick, came across to me, that was, you know, it happened so fast. Quite frankly, I'm not so sure the ball didn't catch Mohal and more than Mohal and caught the ball. And he threw it, what a tougher than you think strike to second base and Oregon State. What was so great about this win, uh, they, they scored three in the ninth. That, that's great, okay? But the frustration, just like Pat Casey finally just kind of half losing it because of the cumulative effect of all those check swing calls, all the calls, the Beavers in Omaha, they can't get a call. And it was a frustrating day last night, and it was a frustrating game tonight. And somehow, through it all, the Beavers with the three-run rally in the night, making it one of the great games in Beaver history. Toss-up of emotions, man. That's all I got to say. You know, you know, once that, that ball dropped, I said to myself, we're not done. And Caden put up one of the biggest battles I've ever seen this year and, and came through in the clutch, and, and I was fortunate enough to go up there and help us out. In a night filled with missed opportunities and frustration, it's the missed opportunity from Arkansas that gave Oregon State a chance to win this baseball game. Or about now, we should be signing off on the radio broadcast announcing Arkansas as the national champions. And, and talking about what a great two-year run it's yeah. been, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. The funny thing is, while Mike Parker and Jim Wilson did not have to announce Arkansas as the national champions, another media outlet did exactly that. ESPN's website, from what I already, uh, I've heard, people are tweeting it, sending it out. ESPN had already declared Arkansas the national champions and briefed. probably about that ball, that ball, ball that foul ball, ball was in the air. The, the foul ball was in there. Punch it. Yeah, punch it. Go, <laughs> national champs. So it's like ESPN. They had the graphic and everything that Arkansas won the College World Series, and that picture's out there somewhere. ESPN had prepared a graphic announcing the Razorbacks had won the national championship, ready to be posted on the homepage of the ESPN app once the game was finished. But the key phrase there is, once the game was finished. I think it was when Caden hit his pop fly that they posted that Arkansas won the World Series. I remember, I think we got on the bus and everyone was like, dude, look at this. Like they posted, you know, the World Series Arkansas winner. We saw that after the fact and we were like, no way i just laughed i somebody sent it to me on, on text message obviously the whole team had seen it you know guys had screenshots of it that people had sent to them and i remember screenshotting it i might still have it and i just remember just laughing about it and be like well somebody's getting fired tonight pretty funny i mean obviously you know they had to take it back down but i do remember seeing that that was just like crazy to us and it just i mean even made us more excited
we were really eager to make them post a different graphic the next day. The ESPN situation wasn't the only thing to go viral as a result of that crazy ninth inning. What just happened? This is Hayden Balgavy. We've heard from him already a few times in this documentary as he's helped give an insider look at Arkansas baseball. Hayden was there in Omaha in 2018 working for THV 11, a station based in Little Rock, Arkansas. In 2018, Hayden became somewhat internet famous following game two. We didn't know when the game was going to end. We were, we were kind of getting ready for out number three, boom, it's over, hit the highlights. And because of copyright and everything, we can't be live in the stadium while the ball game's going on, so I have to go outside. Hayden was standing in front of TD Ameritrade Park reporting on a game he couldn't see, and he had someone back in Arkansas watching the game and telling him what was happening moments after it happened right behind him. And his reaction was priceless. Did they just tie the game? There's no way because there wasn't allowed enough cheer. That, that can't, oh! They dropped up, there's two strikes. They dropped a pop fly. The frustrating part of not knowing what's happening, literally less than 100 yards behind you, and while somebody literally in Arkansas, while I'm in Omaha, is telling me what's going on, it was, it was nuts. It's also worth pointing out Hayden is an Arkansas native, and while he's supposed to be neutral as a reporter, he admits deep down he very much wanted Arkansas to win. I'm listening to everything I've waited for my entire life, 100 yards away from me. I, I, don't, I don't know what just happened. Hey guys, I, uh, I, I, I wish I had a better face for you right now, but uh, I've been told in my ear that the Oregon State Beavers just tied this ball game. The Razorbacks still have a chance to win this ball game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Again, they're not losing. It is tied three to three, and you gotta like Matt Cronin's chances. Oregon State able to tie the ball game. I don't know what just happened behind me. A very loud applause. Majority Razorback fans here, so I really hope that was a good sign for Razorback fans. I wish I had more details for you right now, but hopefully Matt Cronin got out of the inning. But if the Hogs are truly heading to the bottom of the ninth inning, it was a home run. I'm, I'm being told Oregon State just hit a home run. Is that correct? Oh, my, oh my word, Razorback fans. Uh, or, Oregon State has just hit a two-run home run. Um, if you want to find a man speechless on live TV, you just did. And then the station puts it on YouTube, and I don't know how many views later, it's just like, oh yeah, you're that guy. And there's time for one last story from the end of game two. And looking out towards the center field pavilion, I see men, workmen, on the roof of the building out there. What are those guys doing up there? This fan is remembering the top of the ninth inning when Arkansas was about to win. And then the light goes off in my head. Those guys are setting up the fireworks that go off when the championship is clenched. So Arkansas came within a match being lit, <laughs> literally, of being able to celebrate. This has been episode 15 of Dynasty in the Woods. Next episode, Game 3. Plus, a fascinating perspective on what was going on between Game 2 and Game 3 and how each program was handling the high drama. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Special thanks to Hayden Balgavy and the crew at THV11, radio broadcast used with permission from Learfield IMG College. Don't forget to check out Kingdom Home. Their website is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and let's talk next week.